Welcome to the Park Church Sermon Podcast. This is the audio portion of our weekly sermon. For more resources, check the show notes or visit www.parkchurchdsm.com. We'd also like to invite you to check out our weekly podcast, Inside the Park, where we take Sunday to the weekday. Available everywhere you get podcasts. Thanks for listening. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone where a couple minutes into it, they're using words and terminology and you're just not quite sure they know what they're talking about? Anyone? Anyone been there? Yes? No? Maybe that person's you if you haven't. I mean, I, I'm not judging. I'm just saying. So I, uh, I had a friend a while back and he used the word, the term carte blanche. Is anyone familiar with that word? No? I wasn't. I'll, I'll confess that. And he would use it all the time. Oh, this food is carte blanche. That music's carte blanche. This movie, you got to see it. It's carte blanche. So, because God blessed us with Google, I looked it up. And the dictionary says that it's an old French term. It means blank document. Uh, Today, sometimes people use it in the vernacular, um, meaning that you have freedom to do whatever it is that you want to do. You want to write a paper, you have carte blanche to write on whatever you want. Had nothing to do with the way he was using it. So in a loving way, I said, listen, bro, this is a blank document. Don't tell your wife her food is like a blank document. It won't, it won't go over well. We're like that sometimes, right? As people, we start to use words, we use terms that um, we don't really assign a meaning to. An example of this uh, recently came up in a conversation of God. People love God, right? You have God, I have God, we have God, we talk about God, 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 God. And as long as we keep it abstract... God, it's okay. You don't offend anybody. But when you start saying, well, Jesus Christ is God, and that the only way to eternal salvation is through God our Father, that's when the rub happens. Amen? Yes? No? If you can't say amen, better say ouch. So we were talking about that, and then as I was preparing this morning to talk about faith, faith, I found, is one of those words that we often keep in the abstract. In fact, I did a Google search And over 150 secular songs, rap, country, blues, jazz, whatever, over 150 songs talk about faith. Over 1,000 books, secular, non-Christian books, talk about faith. Self-help books, psychology books. We like to talk about faith. In fact, I think we talk about faith more than we don't talk about Bruno, no, no. Anyone? Anyone seen that movie? Yeah, a few. These are the jokes, folks. It's all I got. So (laughs) this morning I want to talk about faith. And oftentimes, if you've been around church, we go to Hebrews chapter 11. Because that is the heroes of the faith. The hall of faith. Right? We go there. In fact, um, I was reading in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, he offers a very good um, definition of faith. He says, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Now, this is a good summation. It's not all-inclusive. As I was doing some more digging around and reading through Hebrews, um, he uses that verse as a way to remind the reader, both in the original, around 97 AD, and for us today, to remind us of what this faith is that he's talking about before he embarks on all of the examples we know today as the hall of faith, the heroes of faith. When you read Hebrews in its entirety, which we will not do today, so 
You can rest easy on that. Faith permeates the entire book. He was writing to a group of people that were new Christians, and they faced a lot of the same things we actually face today. What is this faith? How do we work out this faith? How do we own this faith? How do we live this faith? Is this faith even worth it? They were being persecuted, both outside the church and even within the church, wanting to go back to some of the original things that they wanted, a works-based religion, if you will. And so they're wrestling with that. And it's a lot like us today, right? We have conversations with people, and, oh, you know, I'm just not, I'm not sure if it's worth it. I, I, I don't even know if I want to get up early to go to church. It's, it's super inconvenient. And we wrestle with this living out, this practical outworking of faith. This morning, I want to talk about that with you. So our passage that I want us to focus on this morning is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 24. Now, before I read that, one of the things that really stood out to me and one of the reasons I love the book of Hebrews is that he uh, must have been, well, probably one of three things. I'm pretty sure he was a master expositor. He, the way he presents an argument, the way that he uses the Old Testament to back up what it is he's talking about is phenomenal. If he wasn't that, surely he was then an elementary or middle school teacher because he says things and he says things and he says things and I hope you've learned it, right? Amen, anybody? There's some teachers. I know that I see grins. If not, he was a dad because if I told you once, I've told you a thousand times, boy, right? That's the book of Hebrews. That's how he's writing. So this subject of faith isn't something that he just threw in at the end. Like, oh man, I'm missing some words. I got to boost my word count. I know, let's talk about faith. That's not what is happening here. This is, I know you're struggling. I know that there are difficulties. I know that there's persecution and trials and just junk coming at you. Faith is the answer. And then he has this discussion of what faith is. So if you haven't already yet, I know it's up here on the screen, but if you have a device or Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 10 with me and let's read it. I'd actually like to go up uh, two more verses to start in verse 20. If you have it, it's not up there, but um, it says, He inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, here's verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. Verse 25 says, Not neglecting to gather together as some in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray real quick. Father God, I love you and thank you for this morning. Thank you for allowing Grandview to be here and to bless us through song, allowing them to use their gifts and abilities to give you glory and honor and praise. And so this morning, as we open your word, may it permeate our hearts and minds and spur us on to actively live out this faith. May it not just be a, a mental ascent or recognition of your word, God, but may it change our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if you look at verse 22, right off the bat, you see that biblical faith, the author's talking about faith. Biblical faith is pure. It says we are to draw near 
with a pure or a true, depending on your translation. Pure heart. Literally, it means that we are to have a sincere heart, a sincere motive when we approach the Lord. Now, motives mean a lot, right? They do to me anyway. Imagine, Imagine you're getting married. Most of you have gotten married, so good. Imagine you find out that your spouse had wrong motives to marry you. You go through the courtship, the dating process, you're building a life, you're planning your life, you get married, and then you find out the only reason they married you is because you could provide that sweet, sweet minivan they've always wanted. Well, perhaps it was a dare. Some friends, you know, they got together and said, I dare you to marry so-and-so. That, that would call into question their motives, right? How would you feel at that moment? Now, oftentimes we try to do that with God, and it's funny because God knows our innermost being, our deepest thoughts. Yet we try to conjure up this holier than thou, I can come before God and do pure motives, have pure motives, have a pure heart. And that's not what he wants. In Acts chapter 8, we see this worked out. It talks about Simon the magician. His name was Simon and he was a magician. Good to know. He... uh, saw the apostles, the apostles were coming, the church had been planted, the apostles were going out, and they're healing, they're preaching, they're teaching. What Simon saw was their ability to heal people. He goes, oh, that would be good for business. Maybe I need to heal them. And what's wrong with that, right? Healing people, that's a good thing, right? We wouldn't put anyone down for healing them. The problem was he didn't want God for God. He wanted what God could do for him. His motives weren't right. They weren't true. They weren't pure. He wanted God to be another tool in his bag of tricks so that when his, when his magic tricks started to fail, he could go, ha-ha, I have God, and here you go. Now, we sometimes kind of laugh and chuckle at that, just the thought, the reasoning uh, behind it, like, oh, okay, come on, Simon, you can do better than that. But how often are we like that in our own faith? I'll be the first to confess that when stuff hits the fan, when things go sideways in life, I will drop to my knees real quick. Prayer becomes all-encompassing because it's, oh, God, I need your help. Please help me, God. Please help the situation, God. God, 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 God. I wonder what kind of faith, what the church would look like, both locally here on the east side and around the world, if we had that kind of intent, if we had that kind of faith all the time. Rather we admit it or not, oftentimes Christianity and faith is more like rubbing the shiny Bible and getting the genie God, right? Oh, God, please help me. Here's this thing. I need a promotion. Oh, God, I lost my job. Please come help me. There's nothing wrong with praying like that. But the author of Hebrews is saying there has to be more. We need to come before God with a faith that is true and that is pure, that is sincere, It says that we are to come before him with a true heart, a sincere heart. They struggled with that, much like we struggle with it today, right? Persecution's happening. There's stress. There's pressures. And we want God for what he can give us, what he can do for us, not just to be in a relationship with him. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We need to seek first God. True biblical faith should not be 
a vending machine of sorts. We give God three faithful Sundays, then he gives us a new sports car. That's, that's not how it works. We need to seek first the kingdom of God. We need to come before him with a true, with a pure heart. Biblical faith is to be pure. He doesn't just stop there. He says biblical faith is to be pointed. Look again at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Now, people, we as people live by faith often, right? We go to a restaurant. We, by faith, assume the food that's brought to us is not going to kill us. I mean, maybe depending on where you eat. But generally, we have faith that the food is going to be good for us. It's going to be nutritious. When the waiter or waitress fills your glass with water, we have faith that that's not poison and that it is, in fact, H2O, right? We live by faith. It's a generic faith. We have faith. That's not what the author is talking about here. People talk about faith a lot, right? We hear it, faith in love, faith in mankind, faith in humanity, faith in faith, whatever that means. That's not, that's not what he's talking about. Faith here and throughout the book of Hebrews is singular in form, and it's a noun. Most of us, I'm assuming, have been through at least grade school. We've learned at a young age that a noun is a person, place, or thing, right? Verbs are action. Nouns are... Oh, I'm getting deer in the headlights. Yes, yes. Okay, good. This is yes. This is no. Okay, good. Uh, what he's talking about is a singular person that is faith. And we know that because, as I read earlier, above uh, in verse 21, that we have a great high priest. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus Christ is a great high priest. And in him and through him, we have to have faith. That is the faith that he's talking about. That is the faith that we need to have. I'm reminded, I'm reminded of a story in Daniel of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Anyone heard about that? They had an old king named Nebuchadnezzar, and he built this massive statue, and he said, when you hear this tone, you're going to bow down and you're going to worship it, or else in the fire you go. So you have these three dudes, these good old boys, and they said, well, we have faith in God our Savior. They look at the idol, they see the idol. They look around, they see everyone else bowing down. They look at the furnace, they see the furnace. They feel the heat, and yet they had faith in what was unseen. So much so that when they threw him, when the king Nebuchadnezzar threw him in the fire, they still held on to that faith. What kind of faith do we have this morning, church? What would it look like if we held to that kind of faith? Not just faith in mankind, not faith in faith, faith in Christ Jesus and him alone. The singular, pointed, pure faith. John 14, 6 says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ is the answer. He's the only way that we can get to heaven. Not by what we can do, not by what we've done, not by hopes and good feelings. Faith in Christ Jesus and him alone. This isn't something that we can gain ourselves, and the author is quick to point that out. In verse 20, if you, if you still have your Bibles open, it says, He inaugurated for us. 
He's still talking about Jesus in this passage. It's always about Jesus Christ, the faith in Jesus Christ. And he's saying that he did it for us. It's not something that we can conjure up, that we can read six self-help books and bolster our faith. That's not what he's talking about. He is saying, and Paul echoes it, that by grace you're saved through faith. It is faith that saves. Not something we can muster. It's Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. He did it for us. In fact, if you're familiar with church history, Martin Luther, that was his big thing in the church reformation. It was by grace, grace alone, faith alone. It's only through faith that we can come before the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a faith that saves, faith that's pure, faith that's pointed. He continues in verse 23. Faith is pure, faith is pointed, faith is also persistent. Look at verse 23. It says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope. In some translations, the word hope is translated faith, and there's some similarities in the word. I think I like the word hope. I've never met a true professing believer, a Christ follower, that didn't have hope. Not the feel-good feelings of, gee, I hope they win the game, but this unending, undying, deep-rooted, convictional hope within We have to have faith that is persistent. Now, holding on to faith, having persistent faith, I want to be quick to point out, doesn't earn you more faith. Just like trying to do good works can earn your way into heaven. That's not how God works. Having persistent faith is evidence that you have authentic faith. The, the readers, when Hebrews was written, struggling with that. Is it worth it to keep going? Is it worth it to provide food and shelter for my family? Is it worth it to have faith? One of the uh, biblical examples that popped in my head quickly, and um, it's because... Hebrews also mentions it in verse 11. The heroes of faith was Noah, and Noah had persistent faith. I love Noah because here's this dude that God says, build me an ark. And it's not like he could just go to Ikea and slap together this ark and be like, whoo, done, 30 minutes flat, baby, whoo, no. It took him over 100 years to build this ark. They didn't know what a flood was. They didn't have a flood. They didn't have flood mitigation. They didn't even have arm floaties. And yet here's Noah dedicating years and years and years of his life to build this ark thing. He didn't even know what it was. God had to give him instructions. It wasn't like he was Bob Vila in the Bible. No, it was Noah, and he didn't know what he was doing, but he persisted. He heard the word of the Lord. He had faith in what the word of the Lord said, and he persisted through it to see it to the end. Another example, and just as Pastor Brad's been talking the past few weeks about Joseph and how Joseph persisted through trials, through temptations. It's a persistent faith that when things go sideways in our life, we persevere. Now, if you get nervous about this whole topic, as I do, because I'm, oh man, am I going to persist? I don't know. There's hope. I was reading this the other day from John Piper, and he, he says this quite well, actually. He says, God himself 
will make sure of our perseverance in faith. Not perfection in faith, but perseverance. He says, how do I know this? Romans 8.30 says, those whom God predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he glorified. If God's going to call you into the faith, he's not just going to leave us hanging there. Amen? Anybody? Yes? Jesus talks about that in John 10, 28, where he says, no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I love that verse. It's the assurance of faith. We can persevere in our faith because it's not of ourselves. God calls us in. God gives us faith so that we can have more faith and follow after him. Persevering faith does not earn faith, but it proves that our faith is authentic. Now, as you start logically seeing the argument that Hebrews is laying out, the author of Hebrews, you can see the next one that's coming, that faith is pure. We have to have a pure, true motive, pure heart to come before the Lord. And when it's a pure faith, then it's a persistent faith. And it's a pointed faith because we know who we are believing and placing our trust in. All three of those lead to then being productive in our faith. Biblical faith is productive. Look at verse 24. It says, let us watch out, or in the Greek, let us stir up, let us encourage. Let's look out for one another and provoke love and good works. We have to do things. When you look in the Greek, there's verbs all over this verse. You can't just have couch potato faith and watch the world go by. That's not what it is. Again, it's not that you can earn faith by doing things. It's that your faith, your true, honest, pointed, pure faith spurs on productivity. James uh, runs with this pretty well, and it'll be up here on the screen so you don't have to turn to it in your devices. But James chapter 2 lays out the argument very well. It says this in James 2 verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and lacks daily food, and one of you says to him, go and be in peace, stay warm, be well fed, but you don't give him what the body needs, then what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. Now, James goes on and he talks about how works without faith is then pointless and worthless as well. So he's presenting that argument there. The point that he is making in James and that the author of Hebrews is writing and making for us is that our faith should spur us on to actively follow, actively live out, be productive in our faith of Jesus Christ. You can see that when you look at chapter 11, the heroes of faith. And we don't have time to go into it today. But I encourage you, if you have some free time this week, this afternoon, this evening, read through chapter 11 of Hebrews and start underlining all of the action stuff. Real quick, you can see Abel, he offered. Noah, he built. Abraham, he obeyed. He followed. He went out. He did stuff. Over and over and over again, you see these biblical examples of people who had true, pure, authentic faith that persisted through trials and they were productive for the Lord. Even as, we, uh, as Brad mentioned this morning, there's an opportunity next week if some of you are like me, it's like, well, I'd like to get involved, but I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe someone will come up and talk to me. We'll have a ministry opportunity next week 
So if you're sitting there wrestling, going, man, I'd like to get involved, but I don't know. We here at Park care about helping you in your journey, in your faith. And one of those things is getting involved, being productive for Christ. So if you're unsure, come back next week. And you can speak with different ministry leads, and we can find ways for you to use your giftings and abilities. We don't all have to sing. We don't all have to play piano or whatever. But God has wired us each differently and given us different gifts to serve him and the body. Now, if you think of these like a circle, I was thinking about this this morning, talking with some of the musicians about circle of fifths, and don't worry about it. It's a musical term. But there's the circle of faith right now. And God brings us into the circle of faith by giving us pure faith. That pure faith leads to appointed faith in Jesus. The pointed faith leads us to having persistent faith. The persistent faith leads us to being productive. And all of this is based on a promise. Biblical faith is not just this void theoretical framework that we've created. No, it's based on the promise of God. People in Hebrews, in, in the original authorship of this, they were struggling. We in America today might not struggle like what they did back then, but we struggle here too. Sometimes we raise the questions, is it worth it? Is missing out on a promotion at a job worth it? Is sacrificing sleep or free time or Netflix binging time for Jesus worth it? You can fill in the blank. Is whatever in your life worth it? The answer is yes. And Hebrews, the author of Hebrews points that out. He's pointing out that it is worth everything. When you look at the entirety of scriptures, when you read through Hebrews 11, when you read through the Old Testament, the New Testament, the entirety of it, God makes promises. And compared to everything that the world offers, God is always worth it. God always wins. And it's the promises of God that we can base our faith. It's not baseless. It's not mushy-gushy, feel-good, gee, I had a great Sunday morning type of faith. That is not it. It's based on the promises of God our Savior. Paul encourages the believers in Thessalonians of the same thing. He says that God calls you and he will be faithful in that. He's not going to call us to faith and then abandon us and hope that we can just coast on by through the rest of our life. We have the promise, the assurance of God. So that when we come across verses like 1 John 1, 9, and it says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins. We can take that to the bank because our God is faithful. Our faith is based on promise. There was a story of a father and son. And the dad dropped the son off at the storefront. And he said, wait here for a half hour, go shopping, do whatever. I'll pick you up here in a half hour. So the son hops out and the dad drives off. The dad apparently had luck like my luck because his car broke down after he dropped the son off. It took him five hours to fix the car and get it running again. So the dad frantically drove back to pick up his son, very worried, wondering, is his son still going to be there? What happened to his son? 
As he pulls up, he sees his son just sitting there on a bench, kicking rocks, hanging out, waiting for his dad. So the dad jumps out of the car, and he wraps his arms around his son, so excited and grateful that his son is safe and sound and still there. So logically then, as they're riding back home in the car, the dad looks at the son, and he says, Son, were you worried? Were you nervous? You seemed kind of relaxed. Like, did you have any fear? And he goes, No, I wasn't worried. I didn't have fear. Dad, you said you would be back to get me, and I knew you would. I wish that we could have faith like a child, and we should. The faith that God offers us, that he calls us to through his son, Jesus Christ, can be a permanent, persistent, pure, pointed faith. And it'll never let us down. As I start to wrap things up, because time's getting away from us, there's one thing that seems like a duh statement, but really I find to be more true than not. If we place our faith in a whole lot of wrong things, what do we have? A whole lot of wrong faith. And the temptation, although we might not admit it, is to do that. Place our faith in people, faith in jobs, faith in fill in the blank. And we end up with a whole lot of wrong faith. But when you place your faith and trust in Christ, in God our Father, the almighty maker of heaven and earth, the one who loved us so much he sent his only son to provide a way for us to enter into a relationship with him and spend eternity with him, that is biblical faith. That is what the author of Hebrews is challenging us with this morning. I love in Luke, in the New Testament, the disciples are with Jesus. And they had faith. They had seen some of the miracles of Jesus. And yet, they even approached him and said, Lord, give us faith. Increase our faith. And the prayer of my heart this morning as I was preparing this message is that we would ask that of God. Not God, give us stuff. God, give me a new car. Give me a better job. Give me a promotion. No, no. Give me faith in you. Increase my faith. Mia's going to come up uh, and she's going to sing a, a wonderful song. It sounds, it's, it's, it's a great song. And while she does that, you can come on up if you want and whoever's playing piano. I want us to have some time to do business with God. I know some of you, I don't know all of you. For some, maybe you need that first step of faith. You've been coming to church for a while. You've heard us preach and teach about salvation in Christ alone. But you haven't taken that step. You haven't placed your faith and trust in Christ. Maybe that's your first step this morning. I would love nothing more, and I know Brad would love nothing more than to talk with you about how you can enter into a relationship with Christ and have that faith. For many of us, probably, if you're like me, we need to take steps, we need to ask God, we need to come before God and have him increase our faith. Maybe our motives need checked. 
Maybe we've been placing our faith in others or other things, not pointed at the person of Christ. While she sings, um, I want you to, you can fill out your comment cards. There's a, I think there's a prayer section. Is there a prayer section on there? Write down the prayer request. We would love as a church to pray for you. We would love to walk beside you through this journey of faith, the Christian life, to help one another, to be there for one another, to spur one another on to good works and deepen one another's faith in Christ Jesus. Let's pray real quick. Father God, I love you and thank you for this morning. Thank you for this brief time that we could have discussing faith and what it is. God, that it is a pure faith, that it's pointed only at your son, Jesus Christ. God, may our faith be persistent through trials and temptations. May we point others to you. May we be productive in our faith and live it out. God, please increase our faith. Help us to have a deeper relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.